of the book of Esther. Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. I find so many things between Esther and the book of Numbers where we've been in the 22nd, 23rd, 24th chapter of the book of Numbers between Balaam, Balak, and the situation there. And over here in the book of Esther, we find that the overriding, overruling of all things is the Almighty God in heaven. He not only permits things, but he purposes things to take place. It is interesting that he spoke to Abraham many, many years before Abraham had a son and said, your people will be in bondage for 400 years. And we find that that is fully true and it was carried out exactly to the day. God did not get caught by a shortage of knowledge. He has purpose at all. Well, here in the book of Esther, we find out that God has overseen and overridden all the things that take place to bring this to exactly the right place at the right time. Tonight in a study that we were looking in the book of John, John chapter 4, one of my favorite verses out of many, many thousands of favorites, he must needs go through Samaria. Now that's what God is doing here in the book of Esther. He must demonstrate his power. And he could have said as well as to Pharaoh, as to Artaxerxes or Ahasuerus, he could have said, for this very reason have I raised thee up. He could say that to Haman, for this very reason have I raised thee up. And he could also say that to Esther and to Mordecai, for this very reason I might show my power in thee. So as we look into this fifth chapter, we find out that Esther comes before and no doubt very timid, very not knowing for sure what was going to take place when she came into the presence of the king, her husband. She did do what was right and honorable. She dressed for the occasion. She went in her royal apparel, and that was good. It was the apparel that the king had given her. That was good. She was a pleasant lady. That was good. She was pleasing in speech. That was good. She made no demands. That was good. And she comes into the presence, and we find that the finger of God is on that scepter, and he helps Ahasuerus push it down so it recognizes Esther, and she is brought into his presence. Now, the request that is made is found in this passage of Scripture. In fact, there are two requests that are made in this passage of Scripture, and they're both made by Esther. And you know the overwhelming thing that I noticed about Esther's requests? How small they were. I just want to have a banquet with three people. Now, if we turn to the first chapter, we find there was a banquet, but there was representatives from the entire uh, empire. But she wants a banquet for three people. Queen, King, and Haman. Now, for us, without having any other knowledge, that would be the three appropriate people because we have the king, the second person in command, and the queen. Haman has been elevated to a very high position. Now, we can say whether he deserved it or not. In the eyes of God, he deserved it. God put him there. He is there by divine appointment, just like the king is and just like the queen is. Normally, we'd never find a Jew being promoted to the position that Esther is in. But it is God's eternal purpose that that took place. So this request 
The, the king said, ask anything up to half. You can have anything up to half. And you know, uh, she said, I want one thing, and then I want to complement that with one other thing, and that is two banquets. That's all I'm asking. And she tells us this here in the book of Esther, chapter 5. It says, and Esther answered, if it seemed good, verse 4, and Esther answered, if it seemed good unto the king, another time she shows great respect to the king. She's there by the pleasantry of the king, and she says, let the king and Haman come this day, this afternoon, in an hour, whatever, unto a banquet that I have prepared for him. Now, she's already taken care of the banquet. I believe she's expressing a great deal of faith here when we find that she's already had this small banquet prepared, but she wants the king and she wants Haman there, and she is going to make one other request when this banquet is up there. The king said, cause Haman to make haste that he may do as Esther has said. Verse 5, so the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So we have everybody that's been invited there. Esther is there, her husband the king is there, and Haman is there. He is second in command, and there's been a special invitation. Now, if we didn't have chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, and the rest of it, we would say this is quite an orderly way of dealing and doing business. And that's no doubt true. But we find out that Esther has in the back of her head a great deal of people that she's looking out for. She has all of the Jews in the kingdom that she's looking out for. She wants to save them. And we find out that there is going to be that very thing. The king said, cause Haman to make haste. Verse 6, and the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee second time. What do you want? What is your petition? And I'll grant it up to half the kingdom. And, and then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request. Now, in many respects, she is giving us an ideal demonstration of prayer. If it please you. If it is your will. If... This is my request, but I need it to be your will. If you could do this, uh, let the king, if you perform my request, let your request be made known unto God. Request from God. Now we know that God has knowledge of what we have need of before we ask. He said that, and you know what? We're glad to have a God like that. It is good that we do not ever inform God of anything. That he has full knowledge of everything about us and everything that's going on. And that not only does he have knowledge of it, but he has purposed it just like that. But he has asked us to pray. He says, pray, enter your closet, pray. Don't be as, but enter your closet. And that means don't use it to show. Don't be like the Pharisees. Oh, I was so mortified. Yesterday, uh, a couple of young men, a man and 
father and his son came in, and I had just learned that the, husband, the wife and the mother had passed away. And I, I just gave him a hug, said, I'm so sorry about what's taking place. I've known about it for some time. And the guy in there came in. It's just religious. He just oozes religion. And he found out, and oh, he had this prayer right there, and be with your mother in heaven, and brother this, and brother that, and had no knowledge at all of anything about it. And he just, I just wanted to throttle him. <laughs> That's not prayer. That is not prayer. Prayer is alone. If he wanted to take them to the back of the store, that would be one thing. But out there, I just, I find that that is so onerous, so opposite of what we find in the scripture to do. So anyway, let, let the king and Haman, if, if it please you, if it is your, in your will, you know what? The Lord never moves upon us to ask for things that are not according to his will. The Holy Spirit is the one that moves us to pray as we ought. And the Holy Spirit will never move upon us to make requests of God that are not in His will. In fact, we want to pray in your will. We want your will to be done. And we want to be happy with it. We want to be pleased with it. And sometimes God's will chafes us. We're natural people. It chafes us. But God's people want God's will done. All right. It tells us Haman let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare them and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Now, why didn't she say let's take care of business right here? Well, when we get to chapter 5, we find out why. Now, she didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know the king was going to have insomnia. She didn't know that the king was going to have the chronicles read. She didn't know that her cousin was going to be honored the next day. But God moved upon her to request an audience today so that I can make requests for an audience tomorrow. And that's just the way that it was carried out. Now, we wouldn't know much about it if we didn't have a head start on it. If we hadn't read chapter 6, because there is where we're going to find out that some things are going to happen. Well, anyway, we find out that Haman, he leaves the meeting in verse 9. Haman leaves the meeting. Now, Haman is an example of those God has made for wrath. Haman is an example of those pots that the potter has made to demonstrate his wrath. Some are made for his honor and for his mercy, and some are made for his wrath. That's what we read in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. The potter has the right to do with clay as he sees fit, and some pots are made to demonstrate his wrath. And right here in front of us is a man by the name of Haman, and this man is made to demonstrate the wrath of God. Now, when we get to studying the Scriptures, we find out that God's people, the elect people, never were under the wrath of God. Now, we deserved it. We would admit that we deserve it, but we find out we were never under the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides on those who are the non-elect, and he has that prepared from the foundation of the world. But he has never prepared wrath for his children. He has delivered us from wrath. He put his wrath, God put his wrath on his son to prevent it from falling to us. Never was ours. 
So we find out there are some that God has determined to pour wrath out, and Haman is one of them. We're going to see that demonstrated. Now, Haman went forth that day joyful. Uh, Can you just imagine how he felt? I'm being invited. I've been invited once. I'm going to be invited back, and I'm going to be honored with great honor. Now, there's one thing he doesn't have. He says here, but when Haman saw Mordecai, every bit of good feeling, every bit of smile and gladness disappeared instantly when he saw a man that lived by grace. I was so caught up with one of the ladies that mentioned here tonight, Cheryl, that she heard a message about, you know, those those uh, antinomians. All they have is grace, grace, grace. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> My goodness. I'll take the name antinomian if I can be recognized as someone who believes in grace, grace, grace. Well, there's a man that believes in grace, and he honors God, and this man cannot stand him. So it tells us there, Mordecai. Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate that he stood not up nor moved for him. He was full of indignation against Mordecai. Now, I found it very interesting to get to the the, uh, meaning of that word indignation. It comes from the term to make cheese. In the old days, they put milk in a skin, and they hung that skin out in the sun, and they moved that skin back and forth, and some enzymes from the skin and the heat caused the cheese or the the fat to separate, and they had their cheese, and they had the the, uh, whey. Well... This guy is in the sun being shook up. (laughs) He is indignation towards this person. He has indignation. You know, there's a verse of Scripture. Would you turn with me over to the book of Luke for just a moment? And then we're going to the book of Romans. Because the preacher of righteousness, the Apostle Paul, truly understood and was preaching what the Holy Spirit is sharing with us here in Haman. And this is a natural thought of all men without grace, without Christ. So, But stop with me at the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 16. The book of Luke, chapter 16. And in verse 15. The book of Luke, chapter 16 and verse 15. Now, every once in a while, I'm glad I leave just a little room because there's a study that I have got part of and they, verses bring up, and they say, oh, that'll go real good in the lesson tonight. And here's one of them. It says, and he said unto them, ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. Now, I can just say, Haman, there you are. But God knoweth your hearts for that which is Highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Now, what was he? Who is highly esteemed? The man that smote on his breast and did not raise his eyes to heaven and said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. There's where we find Mordecai. He knew something about grace. He knew something about sin. He knew something about God. And this man did not. And he was really. He had a lot of cheese against him. (laughs) He'd been in the sun too long. He has indignation against him. And we find that the preacher of righteousness 
In the book of Romans chapter 3, the preacher of righteousness, the Apostle Paul, had much to say as he gathered. He just looked through here and he just gathered so much of the Old Testament and put it, synthesized it and put it together in one spot here in the book of Romans about this great problem that we find with Haman and those like him. A man who is set aside for the wrath of God. This is the reason. God has every right. He has every right to do with him as he sees fit. In the book of Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 9, the scriptures share this. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now, you know that just slammed in the face of all the Jews? Under sin? We are of our father Abraham. We don't have that problem. Well, that's exactly what the Lord tells us there in the book of Luke. Highly esteemed among men, abomination to God. He says, as it is written. Now, he's taking us right back to the Old Testament. Why? Because that's all he had at the time. He didn't have what we know as the New Testament. He had the Old Testament, and now he's preaching a message about it. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. You know, that's the first thing that Mordecai and Esther would admit that I do not have my own righteousness, but I have the righteousness of Christ. I'm depending upon the blood and righteousness of Christ for all my salvation. Now, Haman knew nothing about that. There was nothing in him to have any knowledge about that. And then it tells us here in verse 11, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. We have here a description of what we had pictured over there in the book of Esther chapter 5 when Mordecai, excuse me, Haman comes out of that banquet and he is just full of gladness and pleasure and goodness and honor until he sees a man who knows something about grace and he turns indignation immediately. So wrathful toward this man that we're going to find out he goes home and it doesn't take anything for someone to suggest, hang the man. Good idea. Hang the man. All right. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. You know, we're reading some passages of Scripture that we by nature disagreed with. I know for a surety that most of us said we're the exception. (laughs) I know my mother and dad are just like that, but no. They are all gone out of the way. There is, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. What do you mean? I've done lots of good things. Maybe towards our fellow man, but cannot do a good thing towards God. We cannot earn one scintilla of righteousness. Their throat. What's it talking about there? It didn't take very long to find out just how glad Haman was when he saw Mordecai. He could have bit him you know, it's kind of like those folks over there. They gnashed on him with their teeth. Now that's indignation. They gnashed on Stephen. I mean, they were serious. They hated him to the core. And there's a man among them that we read about later that said, Oh God, 
did that in ignorance. Saul of Tarsus. All right. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. They've lied and lied. They poison of asps under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Jesus told a whole group of people, you know, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And they're the folks that can't say shibboleth. <laughs> it, it ha- you have to have a heart transplant to do that. You have to have a new heart. The new heart gives you the shibboleth. Without it, it's sibboleth, and you just can't wrap your tongue around it. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So even to the Jews, the best of the people, it, he tells us there, no one is justified by the law. All are under sin, and no one is justified by the law. So we read here in this passage of Scripture, as we read in Romans chapter 3, we find a preacher of righteousness bringing up God's word about men, and specifically God's word about Haman, because he's so obvious. He demonstrates what's in his heart. He hates this man so much. Well, as we follow this through, we find that he's a child of Adam. Did you know Jews and Gentiles were children of Adam? There is no difference in our Descent, we have the same heart. We have the same problem that Adam did after the fall. He was dead in trespasses and sin. We find that the only difference between Mordecai and Haman is grace. Not because he's a Jew and not because he's a good man, but grace. God's grace is the only thing that made Mordecai different in any way than Haman. Well, verse 10, going back to the book of Esther, if you would with me. The book of Esther again, chapter 5. The book of Esther, chapter 5. As we find going on with what's taking place here, here's a man left to himself. Here's Haman. I can just see him as he is in that banquet of wine with Esther and the king and then invited back the very next day how he felt. What honor he was having. What position he was. How glad he was. Oh, he was so thankful to be second in command under, under uh, uh, Artaxerxes. He was so glad to be in that position. He left the door with such singing and gladness because tomorrow is going to be another great day. We'll be right back here and she's going to honor us again. And one man stepped into it. What was it that Adam didn't have? (laughs) One thing. 
out of all this. Now, he was in a state of innocence. He wasn't in a fallen state. He's in a state of innocence. He is innocent before God. Some people call him holy or some people call him perfect. Whatever you want to say, he's in a state of innocence. No sin had gone through his heart or mind. He has every tree of the garden except one. He has all the animals to take care of. He has everything. He is in bliss. He has everything going for him. And then we find this rascal, our father, sinned against Almighty God and caused the fall that we're still dealing with in our own hearts and minds. Now, he did it in that state. How in the world, in the state we're in, can we ever get out of the mess we're in? It is an impossibility. Because Adam couldn't even get out of the mess he was in. And I'll tell you, he's first generation. God had to get him out of the mess he was in. God had to give a substitute. And he demonstrated that by a lamb. The slaying of a covering that covered Adam and Eve from their physical as well as their spiritual nakedness before God, undoneness before God. So as we follow Haman out, we find out he is spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. And in reality, he could do nothing more than what he was doing. He couldn't get above his level. So when he got away from those things that make got away from his religion for a minute, got away from people, they quit telling him, Haman, I think you're a good guy. You're probably saved. Got away from the preacher for a minute, got away, got out there. His heart is so demonstrated right here. I hate that man. And he goes home. Chapter 5, there in verse 10, if you'll follow that. Nevertheless, Haman, oh, he didn't grab a stick and start beating on Mordecai. Who prevented that? Almighty God. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zerus, his wife. We got to have a meeting. And we want to have people that agree with us. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches. Isn't that interesting? He, he enumerates the glory of his riches, the multitude of his children. I have posterity now and forever. And all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. My goodness, there's nobody in the kingdom like Haman is. And yet he has a serious flaw. He hates God, and he hates God's people. Now he hates God, and God, we know he hates God's people, and when you hate God's people, you hate God. You don't have any choice in it. You hate God. God, we're God-haters. You know, is it wonderful that, and we know, that all things work together for the good of them that love God? who are the called according to his purpose, that love God. God took us from God-haters to God-lovers. He changed our heart. He gave us a heart to love him. And that's the promise of the covenant. Haman goes on and said, Moreover, yea, oh, it, 
Let me tell you what I just found out today. Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared. But myself and tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Oh, one more time. We're going to be advanced in this condition. We're, the promotion that we're going through here. It's just the promotion. Oh, what an advancement. Turn with me if you would. Keep your finger right there, but turn with me over to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. Now in this passage of Scripture, we're going to read what the Gentiles look after. He enumerated what the Gentiles look after. My riches my position, my children, my invitation, and it's all my, my, my. Oh, notice here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I like what Brother Mike brought out. That's a term of endearment. He's not castigating those folks. He is, this is a term. He is their faith. You don't have it. As I mentioned the other day, if we had faith as a grain of mustard. Now, I wish I would have brought one of those in here. Because you couldn't see it out in the middle of the table. If we had faith as a grain of mustard, we could say to this mountain. So what the Lord is telling us there, you don't have any. You have none. You have none. I am your faith. And I am your faithfulness. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? You know, in many respects, he's talking about it in a spiritual context. We don't have to worry about what we're going to feed on. Open your book. There's where we feast. You don't have, and our clothing, what's our clothing? Our robe of righteousness. Christ is our bread. Christ is our water. Christ is all. Take no thought about that. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So he say the Gentiles, and we follow Haman, and we say, boy, look at this. He just went right down the list here. All these things the Gentiles, those without Christ, without God, without hope in the world, have. This is my hope. My riches the only way we can pass on our posterity is our children. On and on it goes. All right. As we go back over there to the book of, of, of uh, excuse me, it's not Numbers, it's the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Esther chapter 5. Notice as we get to here, verse 13. Verse 12. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet which she had prepared, but myself, and tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing. 
there's nothing that could make me happy until Mordecai, the Jew, is dead. So long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Oh, I love everybody. I just love everybody in the whole world, except those folks down there that just will not. They will not submit themselves to our baptism. They will not come to our meeting. They will not listen to our gospel. I cannot handle it, but I love everybody. Well, now we find. Then said Jairus, his wife, and all his friends unto him, let a gallows be made of 50 cubits high. Now, I was reading about that, and it seems that this seemed to be the practice. The more offensive the offense, the higher the gallows, <laughs> so more people could see you. Now, that may have been, but 75 feet high. He wanted this gallows. Now, it may have just been a tree. It may have just been a pole. But it was something that was going to do someone harm. He said, And tomorrow speak thou unto the king while you're in the meeting, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily unto the king unto the banquet, and all things pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Now there's only... Well, there's many things, but the very next chapter, we find out why God had Esther invite them to the second banquet. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. Our time is about up, but the king could not sleep. The amazing thing to me is he didn't ask for the TV to be brought in. He didn't ask for some book to be read to him. He asked for the chronicles of his own kingdom. Now, he's just a little vain too, isn't he? The chronicles of the kingdom. And lo and behold, it's going to be... How did that guy open up those scrolls to the right place to read about the king never honored a man that saved his life? God's providence. God's oversight. God ruling over all things. How did it happen that way? How could it happen that way? Because we have someone that is in absolute charge over all things. He is sovereign over all things. And you know what we get to say? Sovereign over salvation. He demonstrates his greatest sovereignty when he saves enemies of the cross. When he saves enemies of God. He saves those who are enmity against God who raise their fists and say, I will not have this man rule over me. He saves those. They are thankful for it. And glory and honor and praise is poured out into his feet. And we will spend eternity thanking him for that free and sovereign grace. How glorious. Well, we'll not spoil it much more. Lord willing, we'll come to this at the next time and we'll find out the king couldn't sleep what's read, and the reward that's given. We'll stop there for tonight.